Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Checkfront, the booking platform trusted by over 5,000 tour and activity operators around the world. You can start your own free 21-day trial over at Checkfront.com. Welcome to the Tour Operator Startup Series on the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Nikki Padilla Rivera follows a tour operator startup on their journey from idea to execution to we don't know where. We hope it's to success. But you're going to have to listen in each month to find out. And now, welcome your host, Nikki Padilla Rivera. Hey, tourpreneurs. This is the fifth episode of Tour Operators Startup, where we are following Ripley and Sita from She Shaped History, and they are out of lockdown, which is very exciting news this month. We're going to hear about what plans and changes they made during that time, how their sales strategy has changed now with the fact that Australia will hopefully be opening up much more sooner than they had anticipated, and what they're thinking about next year. The main topic for today is one that I've been really looking forward to getting into with Ripley and Sita as it kind of comes up every time we talk, how to build in that strong purpose into your tour content without isolating or berating your guests. I've said it before, and I'm going to keep saying it, there's incredible ROI and sales potential in having a strong purpose built into your brand. It's knowing what makes your perspective unique and then taking on the responsibility to share that with your guests. And the more passionate you are about that, the better you're going to be at communicating that and making your tours memorable for your guests. You want people to go home and repeat your tour company name, right? Not that they had just a great time. And it takes a lot to make that impression. So the special guest I brought in to talk about this is one of my favorite people in tourism, Mike Idris. He is the African-American Interpretive Fellow at the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia. And I can't think of anyone who understands the seriousness of their job and who takes their tour content delivery and structure more important than Mike. And it's what makes him incredible at what he does, which is to educate people without losing that added sense of, yes, making sure they're also having a good time, right? They're on a tour. So today's conversation is deep and very nuanced, but I think it's really interesting to be able to have that conversation from these two totally different contexts that are literally on opposite sides of the world. So I think there's a lot to take away no matter where you're running your tours or what your content is. As always, any show notes or if you're looking for earlier episodes of this series, you can find that on tourpreneur.com. 
thank you so much for listening to this month in, month out. Um, and just a heads up, I have recorded the entire episode with my microphone unplugged. Thanks for your understanding in advance. Ripley, Sita, welcome back. Episode five, I mean, five months have gone by just about almost half a year. It's kind of crazy since we first met and started talking. Last time we spoke, you were under full lockdown again. So maybe we'll start there. Have You're together on the same screen. So that's a good sign. What's kind of the COVID status right now? Sita. Yeah. So Canberra has been really lucky in that we haven't had too many cases and we're super vaccinated. Like we reached um, 90% double dosed yesterday, which was really great. And we're on track to probably reach 100. I'm getting my second shot today after this, which is exciting. Ripley's had theirs. And Canberra only has 10 cases at the moment and everyone's still super paranoid. (laughs) It's a fun place to be at the moment. So that's amazing. So do you have any bookings, Ripley? Yeah, so we're going back on the 27th of November, which is the most exciting thing when we haven't been doing what we love for a few months. So yeah, it'll be so nice to go back. And you just, you put the tours up and people booked, people you knew, didn't know, Sita? Yeah, so this is actually something that we've been working on at the moment because we realized that with like our social media and all of our marketing, we weren't very focused on sales, just kind of like giving people a good time through the stories that we told online. So we're really focusing on that kind of this coming month. And we haven't gotten too many bookings, but we also haven't been pushing it. And it's still a while out. And I think the people are still quite hesitant to make any arrangements just until things kind of shake out and we know what's going to happen kind of COVID-wise. What's changed just out of curiosity for your sales strategy? Just that we're being a lot more direct. Like before we weren't even telling people come on a tour in our social media, really, which is kind of hilarious, but we didn't want to be too pushy. So I guess we've just tried to experiment with making that fine line between giving good content and yeah saying this is a product that exists (laughs) please come on it we've also um started being a lot more strategic about next year and about making like finding ways to kind of have this be like a full-time gig for us so we've been working with a kind of conference bureau that organizes all of the conferences that come to canberra So we can kind of hopefully get corporate bookings through them. And we've also been working with one of our like peak bodies here to get school students coming through our tours. So we've just been thinking a lot more, I think, this lockdown about, okay, how do we actually make this financially viable? Because Mm -hmm. um, public tours twice a week just (laughs) are unfortunately like not enough. No, that's, I mean, that's, the unfortunate truth. And it takes a lot of tour operators a lot longer to realize that sometimes. But but I think that's a really good route. It's going after the more scalable business and finding those partners that can facilitate it. That's fantastic. But I, you know, today we are going to stay in the content because we've talked about this a lot with both of you. But I think one thing that we've sort of danced around, but I really wanted to dig deeper into is the ethical responsibility that can be taken while running tours, especially I think you know, whenever people talk about responsible business, they talk about the three P's, right? Like people, purpose, profit. 
and I say this to kind of set up that, you know, sometimes when people say, oh, the purpose, like, yeah, that's important, but you need to make money. And that's what that shows, right? It's, it's people, your tour should be good for people. It should be good for the planet, the environment, but it also needs to make a profit. Because if you're going to spread these messages, if you're going to have this huge impact, you need to be a sustainable business so that you can actually make that impact, right? So I almost think the larger your purpose, which your company is such a strong purpose, it's even more vital to be profitable. So I just want to lay that over this, that I'm not saying this is you know more important than sales. It's equally important, right? But I, I want to start with you know reminding everyone of the purpose of your company, which as I understand it, is really to reveal the inclusive and diverse account of Australian history that's not often told. Sometimes it's nice to like have someone say it to you, right? Out of, just to hear what people's impressions are for your website. So I guess I'm curious if that was the purpose and based on the content that you've put together, what's worked? What hasn't? I guess one of the biggest things we've only realized recently is shifting the emphasis just from women, which is a bizarre thing given our name is She Shapes History. But when we first started this, you know, all we could think about was tackling sexism and it took us a little bit weirdly to realize that actually like both of us have experienced a lot of racism and there's a whole, even both of us identifying as queer, there's all these other dimensions of our identity that I guess we weren't as confident exploring earlier on in the business. And I also think that we didn't think that those stories were there, that we thought that Australian history was focused a lot on um, white people and kind of straight people and cis people. And discovering that those stories were present and that Australia has a really diverse history that has been... Actually, this is a great example. So Australia's first tour operator, Billy Blue, was African-American. And he came over here in the 1800s and set up the first ferry on the Sydney Harbour. And historians in the 20th century ended up actually kind of rewriting his story a bit to make him seem white because he was such an influential figure. So there's been this actual like active erasure of Australia's more diverse history in the 20th century. So we just didn't think that those stories existed and discovering that they did exist and that we could use kind of like Australian history, like Australia's true history to combat people's beliefs today about who we are as a nation has definitely shifted our view and given us a real appreciation for the power of like public history and of walking tours. That's incredible. So these are stories that you truly have had to really actively unearth, even after the work that you've already done, right? To, to unearth, is it that these stories are now coming up the deeper you dig and you're realizing, oh, there's so much more that was actually lost in the story that we tell. Yeah, I think it's kind of been a wonderful thing because it, it's like unearthing these other dimensions of storytelling and history that was so unexpected, really. And also incredibly validating, like it makes you feel like you have more of a sense of belonging here, which is hopefully what we can impart to other people. Yeah, like one of the things that has probably been the weirdest twist for me personally for 2021 is actually feeling like proud of being an Australian and like becoming more patriotic as I've kind of discovered this history and realizing that Australia has this just really incredible um, multicultural history from like the very beginning. And that's my history. And it's made me feel a lot more Australian and a lot more comfortable. And I think that if I had known these stories when I was younger, Ripley and I have spoken about this. I think that both of us would have felt 
a lot more confident in being mixed race and being queer and also being an Australian. We're going to really deep into this, but I also kind of want to add in another layer of it before we do. Just of the tourism landscape in Australia, in Canberra, it's hard to make generalizations about the tourism industry, although it's easy to do that. What is sort of the landscape of the people running tours, the guides who give tours, and even, let's say, the stories that are told? Does that diversity already exist or is it sort of this is going to be a little bit different? Look, I mean, we're new, so I feel like we can't confidently generalize about the whole field, but our sense is that there aren't many businesses who are very open and upfront about being minority identity businesses, and that is not the norm here. So especially in Canberra, and we've noticed a lot of like businesses identify as queer friendly, but they rarely say if they're queer owned. We're really trying to make that distinction and have a clearer conversation about that because it is a very different thing. And I've actually noticed that on your website, I think, right, that it, it slowly evolved, as you said, almost from like focusing on women to even putting right now, I think it is very front and center. This is a queer, gender diverse, people of color owned business. Was that a more recent addition, Sita? Mm, yeah, that was something that we, um during lockdown, we had a long conversation about what we wanted our brand to be going forward before we kind of started really putting a lot of money into advertising and marketing. And we realized that one of our strengths was that we are giving a modern take on Australian history. And part of that is that you're hearing Australian history from the point of view of people who are queer and are people of color and gender diverse. And that is like a unique selling point. And we found that there are a lot of people and like young people, especially, we initially envisioned that our ideal customer would be like, retired women in their 60s and have been amazed at um, the people who actually engage with us and have been coming on tours and have been following us on social media are like women and men in their 20s and 30s. And for them, hearing about Australian history from people more diverse is a big selling point and it gets them kind of excited to engage because they know that they're getting something different. So we've really started focusing on that and emphasizing our identities as part of our like marketing strategy because it's profitable. (laughs) I also feel like it's more comfortable too that we can be ourselves and we don't have to... I mean, personally, like I found it really difficult publicly identifying as a woman. So it's been really good to be able to be like, this is who I am. So for this, I've called in Mike Idris. I first met Mike in his tour guiding days. He's one of the best tour guides. And if you know me, I do not give that compliment out full stop. And Mike and I just, I feel very fortunate to have spent many hours with him on the phone during the pandemic, talking about exactly this, the ethical responsibility of tours. What power do we have to tell these stories and change narratives through tours, but also what do we really need to be doing because we have this platform and, you know, the the opportunity to educate people. So more importantly, Mike is really good at is how to do that effectively and safely. So that also a guide is prepared and protected from the emotional toll that some of these topics also can have. There's a reason a lot of these aren't spoken about commonly, right? Mike is without a doubt the king of meeting people where they're at, which is an incredible skill that I do not personally possess. And that passion and expertise has led him to his current role with the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia, where he is their very first African-American interpretive fellow, which is 
such a cool title. And he's leading some incredible initiatives just to shout out the museum. I mean, from programming, you know, actual exhibitions at the museum and things that are being talked about to getting the local community involved with the museum, to doing outreach to young local people, introducing them to the importance of interpretation work, specifically in the context of African-American history. So, Mike, I can go on and on. You're so incredibly busy. If I haven't said it already, I really appreciate you, everything you do. I'm so excited to talk about such a nuanced topic from two totally distinct places. I'm honored to be here. Uh, Nikki's been uh, you know, a true person who's helped me to hit this moment that I'm in now. And to Sita and Ripley, it's a pleasure to meet you both. I'm very excited. I'm happy to be here. Could you maybe make briefly kind of give Ripley and Sita a better idea of your journey in this particular work. I'm specifically thinking of like sneaking in African-American content on tours where it didn't exist to your current role. It's only been since 2018 that I've been actually doing, was in the tour game. I was finishing up student, non-traditional student at Temple University, a local university here in Philadelphia. And I went to dip up my toe in the water in history. And I said, where can I sort of practice my craft. And I started as a tour guide for a local company. And we were set in what's called the historic district or old city in Philadelphia. So this is where most people who are looking to engage with founding American history, the Independence Hall, the Liberty Bell, they're there. As a tour guide, you know, obviously I'm telling these these very compelling stories, but I'm noticing that people of African descent aren't really connected with the tour content. And I wanted to find streams and I would find little ways to drop lines or drop side stories of some of the spots that make it a little bit more inclusive. So that's really been my journey is continuing to make sure that there is voices for those who don't necessarily have voices uh, primarily in historical uh, spaces in Philadelphia. I'm going to start with a really big question because this has come up with Ripley and Sida, I think, before. When there is so much information to give, and when you are the one who has uncovered these amazing stories, you know, it just feels so urgent. How do you figure out how to trim? For me, one of my favorite quotes of all time from the autobiography of Malcolm X is where Malcolm talks about knowledge and how it has to be doled out like sugar, a spoonful at a time. If I were to give you an entire bowl of sugar and you dump it, it's, it's, it's going to overwhelm your system. It's too much. But if I'm able to give you the right nugget, the right kernel, that that little bit of information that you have never heard or heard that perspective before. It's almost like holding up a piece of glass to the light and you get that cascade effect. That's essentially what I'm trying to do. I can't, it's a tour. I have a very limited time to impact, impart information that will leave that moment. But where I choose to kind of bring that piece and how the run up to that and building a relationship with the group and trust and it's really about seeing that relationship build over the course of the tour, that you're able to drop that nugget when it's necessary and see how it expands from there. Can you just give us like an example of how you would drop that nugget, like what that looks like? In Philadelphia, uh, I'll give a, there's a great space. There's a space called Washington Square. Washington Square is, a, is one of the five squares of original Philadelphia that were in the plans of William Penn, the founder of Philadelphia, well, founder, the person who named Philadelphia, because <laughs> Lenape, indigenous were there for a long time before Penn ever got there. But when 
they named these one of those squares, they they named it Southeast Square. But over time, people of African ancestry, as uh, people were brought into uh, North America, into Philadelphia, it was an open part. And since people of African descent could not be buried, especially those who were enslaved, could not be buried where their masters were buried. They couldn't be buried in the same church grounds. They buried them in these potter's graves or these commoners' spaces. So this became sacred space. When I tell that story, I tell the layers of history that's in that part. So it's not just that particular story of people of African descent. It's soldiers who were buried there during the Revolutionary War. It was people who were buried there during Yellow Fever. In that stacking of those, those stories, that's where I get to pull out that morsel of, oh, this is also where people who committed suicide, as well as people of African descent, were buried because they weren't considered connected with the church. And I might leave it there. So as we start walking to our next spot, that kernel is rolling around their head. And then maybe there's another space where then I can add another little nugget. And now you have these two stretches and then people are, what other things? So those are what fires up those questions. And that's all I want. I just want people to have to sit and think about somebody other than yourself. What were their experiences? And it's like a decanter with wine. You just want to let it breathe a little bit. And it's not about pounding information now because that's that's not useful. Beat somebody over the head with information. It's about letting it sink in a little bit. When the information is a bit more politically charged, let's say, how do you kind of determine where people are at? You know, when especially on a walking tour, which is what we're mainly talking about now, you've just met them. You're just trying to get a sense of them. How can you kind of figure out how much you can expand their horizons, let's say. Well, this is why I think setting the table is so important. When you have that introductory with them, you are letting people know that we're going to talk about diverse issues. You put it in a way to let people know that there are things that you may know and there are things that you don't know or aren't going to know. And you might be hearing for the first time. And we're going to talk about many different people who have walked into a particular space. The key is to always remember agency. You want to give people voice who don't necessarily have voice to speak up. You are an ambassador. And by being an ambassador, you're also a conduit. You got to be able to sort of bend with people a little bit and understand that we've all been robbed of our history. I think that's one of the biggest notions is that we've been robbed of our history and culture. Of course, of course, it's been stolen. It's in museums. It's 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 all over the world. But also white people, people all over the world, they've often had their history contorted. So when you realize that me growing up in Philadelphia or my wife who grew up in a rural town in Wisconsin or Cedar and Ripley, you, you know, in, in Canberra, you see that we've all been sort of misled in some way. So let's unpack it. Let's do it together. I mean, this is where the hard work is. And I, one of the questions I wanted to ask related to that is how much of yourself is important to put into this content because obviously personal stories that's very relatable to people but then how can you share your own history and perspective while still protecting yourself honestly on tours that's challenging because i try not to make it about me as much as i can because the hardest part especially in history period is separating yourself and the emotions of the of, of what you're the content that you're doing and it's challenging but i think it's crucially important that you and this is why self-care is so important, because if you're not in the right headspace to be doing this work, I have seen, I know without a doubt how damaging this work can be. There are people, especially historical interpreters in spaces like these open air museums and people touching you and 
touching your hair and just sort of that feeling, especially people who are interpreting individuals who are enslaved. It is very, very, very challenging work. But in keeping your distance, I just why I try to keep it to the period, whatever scale you're talking about. If you're talking about something that's more relatable as of the day, then there are vignettes where you can share about your experiences in a broader sense. If somebody wants to know about my educational background, that's when I start asking questions back and forth. Like, tell me what your classroom looked like. What did you talk about when you talked about certain sections in history? Because that's when it becomes very, it's just an exchange. You're learning about what my schoolroom looked like as a kid, and I'm learning about what your schoolroom looks like as a kid. Now we can both compare and contrast and say, hey, this is where we were similar and this is where we were different. And that is powerful because now we're building a bond and we're building a relationship. And that's the way I think you talk about these challenging subjects. Because I know pockets of, especially here in the States, in white America, they don't talk politics. Like you can go and they'll tell you, I don't talk politics. Well, it's like now I got to, if you're coming on my tour, we're going to, I'm not talking politics, but we're going to talk about the history of a political event. And that's the difference. I'm not getting into a repartee between what I feel and what you feel. I'm telling you contextually what has happened and what people are, what have been talking. Yeah, that's super helpful. (laughs) Our tour is just so politically charged. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And there's a lot of denialism here as well, which is really tricky. And there's, you know, a lot of fear and a lot of guilt. And, you know, people aren't used to hearing from a different perspective necessarily here. It takes people by surprise. It's not the norm. And so that that's a hard thing. That's a challenge for us. So that's really helpful. <laughs> it was actually really um, interesting because we had a conversation with a university yesterday who were looking at starting two-week kind of military history tours in Canberra. So this is what one of Australia's biggest universities is now getting into, the tourism game. I think it's great. I love that, you know, this is how universities in Australia are pivoting into tourism. (laughs) But we were chatting with them and they were saying that one of their big fears is that someone will come on the tour, learn about their family's kind of like history, and then be really upset and realize that someone in their family has done something bad. And they were like, how do you deal with that? How do you kind of deal with people discovering something about themselves on a tour? And I'd love to hear your perspective on this, Michael. I, especially as a person of African descent, who's truly in that sense, African-American, my father's from Sierra Leone. And he, as someone who is not from the United States, there is, he doesn't always understand the aspect of what the institution of enslavement has done for African-American people, the challenges that has caused. And there's that disconnect diasporically when it comes to looking at how people from across, you know, the Atlantic see each other. So there are challenges even within people of African descent. But then opening it up to outside, you see even more of those sort of connective lines that can be kind of hard to see. But it's really important to give space, to give people a chance to kind of speak. And sometimes there are things that I don't agree with, and I will push back, but do so in a way to kind of open up open dialogue so that we can continue to figure out what that point is. Because there are people who all the time just have no understanding of our cultural connection. And I don't always feel like it's like I can't carry water for them if they're not willing to take a drink. It's like, I'm not going to carry all this for you. Like, I need you to do some work to be able to kind of usher in this conversation a little bit as well. And 
you know, some people disconnect. There are some people who this is too much for them. And that's the thing. It does. It will short circuit individuals and you will see it. I've seen it and I'll look and I'll be like, whoops, sorry, too real. Like it was just too real for them. But I think a lot of people want to know the, their family's history. And a lot of them don't know how to unpack it. It's like you're not responsible necessarily for what your ancestor did, but you should understand the privileges that have come from those connections. And you also need to understand that, society speaking, we need to do better by those that have been marginalized. So it's not about you going home and having a massive confrontation with your family because, A, that may not be, that's not healthy. That might not be the thing to do. There was this sort of notion when our former president that everybody go home and have these hard conversations with your family members. Well, guess what? That actually backfired, I think, in a lot of ways because people weren't equipped to be able to have those conversations. And then it's just a lot of emotion. And that now you've created a big fracture where they weren't there before because people weren't necessarily prepared. That's why I say for most individuals, you got to go internal and do the homework yourself. That's why, you know, as, as happy as I was last year with how people were digging into more Black literature and things like this during the George Floyd protest, it did scare me because a lot of these people were now overnight, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, leaders and talking to their community, but not necessarily truly understand because they didn't read the content themselves. It's one thing to read it, take it in, and then put it back out there. And it's another thing to just read a couple of chapters and then go talk to your friends about it and think you're waxing poetic about a struggle that you don't necessarily know about. So I think that's an important process. Well, even to give a specific example, Ripley and Sita, I believe you'd mentioned that the end of your tour is quite political. The note that it ends on and that you had had various reactions to that ending of the tour. Is that still the case? Yeah. So uh, at the end, we do like a call and we have a card that says how to build a statue. And we basically say we need more women representation in the landscape. And we have had mixed reactions to that. Uh, some people have loved it and some people have been like, oh, well, why? what are you saying? Like, we're going to take down all the male statues? And we're like, oh, we're not saying that. But yeah, so it's been, it's really tricky. Yeah, because the thing about like where we run our tours is the history is not obvious at all. There are all these stories there, but it's really buried. And you kind of like dig them up. So our point with that is as we move through the tour, we come to the end and we've like, you've learned, you know, about eight incredible Australian women whose, you know, stories you would not have known otherwise. These are the stories that we should remember in the National Triangle, which was designed to be the place where like all Australians are represented. So it's leading up to that moment. And for some, it makes sense. And like, even as we're walking to the final destination, we have people saying to us mm -hmm. like, oh, we need more statues of women. Like, oh, this woman should have a statue. Like, why isn't this here? How do I get this happening? So they're already kind of like getting there in their heads, which means that it's worked. But then there are people who are a bit surprised and like taken aback that we would end on such a political note. So the card actually like, I think this is like the activist in me coming out and want people to like kind of actually engage a civic with their civic, just wanting people to politically engage. It gives details and like breaks down how to contact your MP from showing how to find their number, showing what to say, um, showing like the different ways that you can contact them. Like in Australia, you can send them a message on Facebook and they will respond. You can email them, you can call them, you can rock up at their office, you can like 
find them on their running route, although I'm not suggesting that. (laughs) And in this card, we kind of say how to do that. So it is a really practical guide that we leave on and a practical note saying like, you can use this to build a statue or you can use this to like advocate for change in other ways because like democracy happens when you show up. And that's kind of like the message that we leave on that all of the women on the tour, like they showed up in different ways. So, and for most people, I think that it does end well. And Mm -hmm. it's also perhaps why in our like rebranding, we've really like foregrounded the fact that we do have a mission, like we do have an agenda that we're not kind of here just to tell you unbiased, objective view of Australian history because that doesn't exist. Like we are giving you a really subjective take on Australian history. And as a result, we want you to take action. I love it. (laughs) It's funny because the way people talk about things being political, like, is it political to tell people to participate in their democracy? Like to be an engaged citizen? I just think there's a sort of dichotomy from that where, you know, it's one thing if I'm telling you to vote for a particular individual or something like that. But if it's just broad in the sense of participate, show up, be engaged, do what these other individuals have done. I don't see that as political. I see that as just my responsibility as a citizen of this country to be able to get people to join in. I really appreciate how you're doing that, especially when you're talking about contemporary issues. And that's one of the difference from what I do here or, or have done in Philadelphia is I'm talking about historical and find ways to bring it, shape it into today a, a bit. But it's also more on, I want people to understand that people who lived in the past met their world the way we meet ours today. I don't know what's going to happen 50 years from now. They didn't know what's going to happen 50 years from now. The technology that they had of their day was the best thing they ever saw. And they loved it the same way I can hold up my iPhone and it's the technology that meets us to today. So I think it's important to have that sort of scope. And again, that's why I talk about expectations, letting people know this is what you're going to get. Now, if I'm talking, doing my Black history tour that I'm doing, oh, I'm different. My shape is different. I'm not working for a company. I'm speaking more for, you know, the culture that I'm connected with. But it's about me wanting to introduce and welcome you in. Every stop is the living room. Every stop is the front porch. Every stop is a stoop. And that's the pull because you got people who have no connection to your culture. You want to bring them in. Say, you can't be me, but here's the insight. This is what you get when you spend your money with me is you're going to get insight on something that you didn't know you, you had no clue about. Are you seeing, Mike, and this is a bit of a loaded question because I feel like I have an answer to this, but do you feel, especially pre-pandemic and what we're in now, are you seeing a difference in what travelers want out of their tour experience that they do want a little bit more of that now? I recently went to Newport, Rhode Island with our team. We worked with uh, bringing our, our replica of George Washington's camp tent to Newport Historical Society for a, a, a commemoration when Washington met Rochambeau in Newport. And it was awesome. But the guests there just wanted to talk. They had been locked up for almost two years and people circled back multiple times and wanted to see the tent again. And they just felt happy to be in conversation. So you had a lot of just folks that you, you you're going to have to be a little bit more patient with them now because they're probably 
kind of perseverating a little bit. Their engines are running and they just want to get things off their chest. But you do also see a lot of people who want to sit in, take in information that they feel like they've been, that's been hit from them. And I think this is why we need to meet the moment right now and be those voices and not look around for somebody else to tell these stories. We have to be the ones doing it. Got a quick message from one of our sponsors, and then we'll get right back to today's show. Stay tuned. Do you spend many nights sitting at your desk trying to figure something out in your booking system to make it work better for your business? With Checkfront, you'll always have access to a friendly support team who's quick to reply with a step-by-step solution no matter what you need help with. Find out other ways Checkfront can make things easier for you at checkfront.com forward slash tourpreneur. So Ripley, Sita, I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation with Mike. I, this could have gone on for much longer, I'm sure. I'm sure there's lots of things going through your head. But right now, I'll say Ripley, like top of mind, what are you thinking? I really like the sugar analogy. Uh, that really stuck out because I feel like Cedar and I are so passionate. We have so much information. We've done so much research, but we need teaspoons. And we need to make sure we're using teaspoons, not like giant soup spoons and just pouring information over people's heads. So yeah, yeah. that was a standout. Well, that was, it was actually, we were talking about something similar on the phone yesterday and how doing our chores for an international audience, because um, with borders reopening much earlier than I expected, <laughs> I was saying to everyone, you're not going to leave the country until like 2025. <laughs> this is your home now. <laughs> and borders are reopening. And I've had like a few people text me, be like, Sita, you are wrong. <laughs> you don't understand science or our government. But how different the tour would be for um, tourists, like international tourists, because our tour is really working off the assumption that like people assume that Australian history is white. And what makes our tour so radical is we're saying like, that's not the case. But if you're coming to Australia and you don't like have any idea about Australian history, and this is say like your orientation tour then how would we like change things how would we kind of have to change content to be a bit more like non-australian friendly which is something i don't think we've had to think about until now like what would a non-australian audience look like which is exciting that we're able to do that yeah but yeah i also really loved what mike was saying about the teaspoon of sugar because i think that both of us tend to want to explain the why and the like why something is significant and why something is important by just saying kind of just giving that different history and saying like oh this like you know like black women were present during the gold rush like that's more than enough yeah yeah it's really hard to do and i think mike brought up the great point of it's actually you know, his job is just to plant the seed. And I think that's very hard to keep in mind when you are so passionate about getting the information across, but that actually is going to be the more effective way to do it in the end, right? Because I think if you do overwhelm people with information, they're actually not going to retain it. I mean, you're kind of having the same problem as the, I don't want to say the quote unquote old school tour guide, but the stereotypical tour guide, just giving fact after fact after fact, people don't retain that information, right? The human brain can only take in so much in a three-hour tour or a multi-day tour. 
So I think that's such an important point. And just in terms of your best ability to get someone to retain something is to spoon it out in those smaller doles and to let them come to you with questions. And I imagine those are the really satisfying days where you get lots of questions. Yeah. And I kind of realized talking to Michael just then that we really want to provoke thought. Like we don't want to do the thinking for people. And that's really important to work out techniques that facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because like you don't have that long to tell a story when mm-hmm. you're a tour guide, like you have to be really quick. So it's like, how do you kind of tell these really nuanced and complex stories that provoke thought in less than five minutes mm-hmm. in, in a way that's still entertaining and doesn't turn people off and doesn't make them have flashbacks to their high school history class? Like there's a real art to it. And I think it's quite difficult. And it's something that we're still kind of figuring out because it's such a distinct art form and it's just such a distinct way of telling stories. I think that that's something that I've been um, coming to terms with more and more that there's not really any other profession that you can compare it to in terms of how you're presenting information because you're having to do it in such a quick but often nuanced way. It's incredibly difficult and that's just not appreciated, I think, even in the industry level. And and I will say the best tours I've gone on, and, and I don't say this to, to be haughty, but out of all the tours I've been on in my career, which are more than any one human should ever take in a lifetime, there are very few that are phenomenal. And it's not to say that the rest are bad. It's that only a few are above and beyond phenomenal because it is so difficult. And that's the kind of thought process that these guides have, that they really are thinking about it as a craft and how to be effective storytellers, how to bring emotions up in people without the bad emotions coming up, right? How to still manage a tour and keep the flow. And when you go on a tour and that's well done, I don't think you could even measure the amount of ROI that has in that that is the tour that people remember. That is the tour, if done well, where people, and I think in your case, it's so perfect because the tour company name does connect with the content, but you want people to remember the name of your tour company. Because even if people have a great time, if they go home, they're like, oh, I took the best food tour in Taipei. That is useless to you. They could tell a thousand and one people, but you can Google food tour Taipei and you're not going to find that company. You want to be so deliberate and so carefully put together and so well constructed and the brand to be so strong of a presence that people are going to remember the name of your company. That's always sort of my measure of if a tour is well branded. And I think branding to me is this storytelling and the content that's that's getting across, or at least that's the branding. It's going to be interesting. Mm, that's a really good point. We actually hadn't thought of that. Mm. This is great. I, this is a really energizing conversation. And I think it was really interesting to talk about such a nuanced topic from two totally mm. different places with their own very specific history. Mm. That's so interesting. Um, especially because, you know, we each are in our own spheres and it's very hard to think outside of what we know. Um, so to be mm. able to have that conversation with two totally different spheres is really interesting. Thank you both so much, as always. I'm thrilled that you were open for business and well done on vaccination rates, Australia. So hopefully it'll just 
keep bringing in the people and international tourism will come back and and you'll have more people moving through so it looks like I say this every every time we talk but you're in such a good place <laughs> it feels more like that this month yeah so that's good and I think next year is looking really positive yeah. as well like I think we're both feeling really good about what next year is going to look like and kind of glad that we had this lockdown time to mm-hmm. figure out what we were actually doing and what we wanted to do Well, thank you so much for sharing, especially this episode. And I'm looking forward to catching up soon. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.